like, eh, I'll do the workaround and go on podcasting and YouTube talking to my friends. That's like you have to go. You have to go back to school, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I can't afford that, especially after buying a new house. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome into Chip and Friends. Uh, we're back after a hiatus as I tried to get my life in order at uh, WTKR and recently bought a house, so that's exciting. And what better way to get us back into the rhythm of things with a close friend and a close mentor, Scott Abraham of WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C., which is actually in Arlington across the Potomac, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Scott, you're looking great, my friend, as you always are. How have you been? I haven't seen you since my last day at WJLA, June 5th. 2020 i remember the day like it was yesterday yeah uh it's been uh it doesn't feel that long but you know obviously covid and pandemic life uh changed everybody's kind of picture of what is time uh but uh good to see you as always and you know how much i miss you and we all miss you and uh, glad to see you're doing well and starting a new chapter down in norfolk and virginia beach you're a house owner house buyer uh that's exciting add more stress and give you some more gray hair, but um, all in all, everything's good with me and the crew up at WJLA. So uh, thanks for having me on. You got it. Yeah, the gray hair is starting to come in piece by piece. Same with me, bro. Actually, I'm my hair. My hairline's going up. (laughs) Oh, welcome to the party, bro. Welcome to the party. You do a good job, though, of masking it. I will say that. You do a good (laughs) job. Uh, so kind of jumping in because I had a year WJLA, it was on spot work. Essentially, it was the best April fools, not joke that people thought was a joke when I came to WJLA, April 1st, 2019, and then full year of what happened then? Well, the nationals won a world series. The mystics won a WNBA title. Uh, the Terps almost made it to the NCAA tournament as a big 10 champion, despite COVID hitting a lot. Don't happened forget, in don't that forget year. Virginia. That's where I was going next. The Virginia Cavaliers winning the national championship. I mean, literally, you had like the ultimate year of any sportscaster. Like, if you had to pick, like, yeah, you, it sucks you only last year, you were with us for one year, but if you had to pick one year, my God, I mean, nobody can compare <laughs> that year ever, Not ever. Yeah, for both of us, man. Like, that was the peak of, of our careers, and we were doing right? it together. And there's people in this business, Chip that go 30, 40 years that have never covered a major pro championship. Yeah. For you, like right before I got there, we even, so I was at ABC at the time before I joined WGLA when even the Capitals won the Stanley cup, which was the first major DC championship. And for you, a hockey guy, I kind of feel like for you, that was the bigger accomplishment of covering than the world series. Whereas me, it was the other way around of covering the world series over the Stanley cup. Let's, let's touch on that a little bit because you're yeah. a huge hockey fan. Yeah, you're right. Um, my, my dream job, if I didn't have a family, if I was single would be kind of be a beat TV reporter with a hockey team. I would love to go on the road, just be, you know, that guy covering the team on a daily basis. I love hockey. I think they're, um, I think it's the best sport to watch in person. I think it's one of the best sports to watch on television. The, the, the fast pace, there's not a lot of commercials. You're done in two and a half hours. Uh, playoff hockey is, is another different animal, and it's just the best. And the players and the coaches, I think they're just so accessible to the media and so media friendly, which just kind of draws me in even more. Um, I, I love hockey, and 
you're right. The 2018 Stanley Cup run by the Capitals was my favorite moment of my career. Uh, the actual singular event out of all that that I covered was the parade um, because it was the whole city kind of decompressing and just celebrating after 20 plus years of horror and heartbreak and, and tears. And finally, everybody could come together and celebrate a huge championship, a sea of red, you know, down Constitution Avenue. I was able to ride on a double-decker bus with Holtby and Eller. Um, so what a yeah. great group. What a great yeah, group. Clive Braden Holtby, Lars Eller, the Tiger. It's a, gr it's a group that'll be, you know, together forever. I mean, you, you know, the reunions, they're, they're never going to be separated. And not and everybody was expecting them to choke again and lose again. And um, they defied the odds of, you know, beating Pittsburgh and beating Tampa. Remember, they were down 0-2 in their first round series against Columbus. They were almost yes. going to get swept. They were going on the road to Columbus for game three and four, down 0-2. And then they came back and won that series. And um, it changed the whole uh, kind of confidence and, and mantra a little bit of the Capitals coming back from that. Scott Abraham on with Chip and Friends to remind everyone who's listening on the podcast. We're also going to be releasing a shortened version on YouTube. So be sure to check that out. And you just pointed to what I've always been impressed by, your instantaneous recall of events in your career. So from 2019 to 2020, we're going to share one story each that we remember most. And I'll start. I had a bunch I'll just list them all, but I'm going to describe one in detail. Interviewing Wolf Blitzer in Game 5 of the World Series. You were there. That was surreal with my IFB oh, out of my ear. The science guy, too. That was two days before in Game 4. Yeah. Or was that Game 3? I think it was Game 4. Yeah. Uh, either way, that was one. David Ortiz getting shots for everyone and me just happening to be in the right place at the right time after the Nationals won the World Series. It was with Juan Soto. Yeah, you were you were asleep at the time. Because you had to wake up and do like a 2 a.m. or like a 4 a.m. live shot. Where was this? This was at the team hotel in Houston after game seven. You went there? I went there. I had they no idea. I know. Oh, I think God. I texted you. I was like, I bro, you need to get over here. I didn't sleep. I, I, I literally did not sleep because we didn't leave um, Minute Maid Ballpark until like 2 a.m. 2 a.m. Central time. Their time. Yeah. And I had to be back on the air at 5 a.m. Eastern time. So I, I didn't yeah. go to bed that night. Yeah, I remember. We were in the airport the next morning, and your head was on the table. I said, do you need an orange juice, buddy? <laughs> you were dying. I All felt right. so bad yeah. for you. And I got I was very sick, too. I got yeah. really sick. I got ahead because Michelle Marsh, our anchor who came down to this, was very sick at the beginning of the series. Yeah. I must have caught what she caught, and it hit me right after um, – you know, like literally right after game seven and I was down for the count, lost my voice. I had to take yeah. a steroid shot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, I remember to make it through the parade. Oh man. Uh, time for a quick kick in the giblets. Michelle was there that night. Still I sick. She, I, I knew Michelle. No, I mean like me, she was at the hotel. I know. Where David Ortiz, yeah. She told me that. I didn't know you were there though. I know Michelle was there. <laughs> I was like, what? I literally started like, what are you doing here? You need to rest, go to sleep. Uh, who knows? All right. But here's the one story that I remember in complete detail is that game seven is we were waiting to go into the locker room. We assumed all oh, the nationals are going to lose. It's going to be sad. And then Howie Kendrick steps up to the plate. I walked out to the tunnel. He hits the home run off the foul pole in right that essentially swung momentum into the nationals favor. I'll never forget standing in that tunnel and a lady to my left telling her husband we just lost the bleeping world series 
in that one swing. I'll never forget. Like, those are the kind of moments you always remember. We had so many, but that one's just like, I was in the right place at the right time and heard a fan literally just feel the soul sucked out of their body. It was it was one of those best moments. All right, what's yours? Uh, out of the World Series <laughs> so many run different out, of, out of my, you know, career? The World Series run? What, what? Just in the, from 2019 to 2020 when we were working together. Good God, Chip. There's I mean, a lot. That Virginia run was something was magical. Because you got to remember, the last three games they played, the Elite Eight game against Purdue in Louisville, all, all Purdue crowd because it was only like an hour drive from West Lafayette to, to Louisville. That game was – I was sitting courtside um, next to Andy Katz. Uh, uh, former, I think he's ESPN, or he may not be ESPN. No, nah, he's the athletic covering the Knicks. Okay. Oh, he's the Knicks now. Yeah, he's on the no, Knicks beat. No, that's Fred Katz, Andy Katz. Oh, for, oh, 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 Andy yeah, yeah, Katz. yeah, yeah. And just watching that game with, you know, Virginia was should have lost, or they were going to lose, and then Diakite with the shot at the buzzer to force overtime, they end up winning. Then they go to the Final Four in Minneapolis. Kendall and I are there. They're going to lose to Auburn. They were up, and then Auburn takes the lead late. Last possession, um, they, they need a miracle. Um, Kyle Guy gets fouled in the corner shooting a three. He makes all three free throws. They win the game. And then we go to the championship game against Texas Tech. <laughs> They're going to lose that one. Oh, but wait, then uh, – um, oh, not Ty Jerome. I, forget, I forgot the other guy's DeAndre name. Hunter. DeAndre Hunter hits a big shot in the corner. Forces overtime. They win in overtime to win the national. That was pretty remarkable. Just the the heart stopping finishes and and how they got knocked off in the first round the year before against UMBC. Embarrassed first 16 seed to be a, to be to one. A uh, year of redemption for Virginia. That was spectacular covering that. And then you know the Capitals as we mentioned and and of course um, the Nationals. And I remember vividly seeing. Max Scherzer just ball his freaking eyes out. Yeah, you um, had that interview. When he saw his fan when when I was on the field, he saw his family and his wife for the first time. And I was right next to them as he hugged them the first time. And he was wailing. He was just yeah. crying so much. You just could feel how much it meant to him to share that with his family and um what this, you know, it humanizes everything. These athletes are not robots, you know? I mean, they have trials and tribulations and they have dreams of, of reaching the pinnacle and climbing the mountaintop. And for him to kind of release it, I was there for basically emotional release. Uh, that was something I'll, ne I'll never forget. Yeah, that, that whole night, there's a great picture of us on the mound at mm -hmm. Minute Maid Park, all hands in the air, like incredible. This is yep. this improbable run, pulling it off. And then later being with the whole team with the World Series trophy. That that was also kind of a great culmination. Was it, was it like, like anybody could go to that team hotel, right? It was just like the public like the public could be it's, in there. Long, yeah, like it, it it was kind of like nobody told anybody, but like if you were there, it was fine. Like they didn't care. Did they have they it roped off? Did they have it roped off for the players or they were just Yeah, they had the, they had the hallway to the stairs roped off. So okay. so they weren't gonna let them be in the hallway. But like yeah. if players I think oh yeah, Daniel Hudson came down. And like stood next to me to get a drink. I was like, "Oh, honey, what's going on?" But he goes, "I'm not gonna lie, 
I'm pretty hammered, but we're having a good night. <laughs> so we're, all we the, we're all the players down there or just select players? Just select players. Juan Soto, Daniel Hudson were there. Um, who else? Andrew Stevenson was there. I think number 17, he was there. Yeah. He's still with the team now, which is wild. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that was really great. Scott Abraham, WJLA uh sports director, primary sports anchor uh for that station in DC, the ABC affiliate. So now, Scott, I want to recount your journey to how you got there. Everyone has a story, everyone has yeah. a path, none of them are the same at all. So let's go back to the very beginning because we're both very devoted to our families. And when you think back to learning under your father's homeschooling, reading the back of baseball cards to accelerate that process, doing chores with cattle, pigs, and turkeys. (laughs) What what about all of that? Do you believe define the start of your journey to being a multi-time Emmy award-winning sports journalist? Um, I, I know from my father, you know, that's where I developed my work ethic, um, the grinding mentality of, you know, doing those chores and, you know, chopping wood, splitting wood for the furnace and, um, you know, feeding the livestock. You know, I lived on a, uh, a farm, 88 acres, you know, we lived out in the country. So we had some animals to take care of and, um, you know, a lot of grass to cut and chores and flowers and, you know, he just taught me the work ethic and, and working hard and, uh, you know, sacrificing, you know, for your family and, and, and other being unselfish. And my love of sports, you know, were cultivated through pops of, you know, we got into baseball cards and, and, and immersing myself in stats and learning where they went to college. And um, and that it gravitated toward, you know, reading the newspaper and the box scores and the numbers and then gravitated more to the television side. Um, we didn't get cable television until I was in high school cause we lived out in the country. So Damn. finally, finally it was like a big deal when we got cable that was, uh, like literally when high school started. So then I gravitated to ESPN falling in love with ESPN sports center and, um, their personalities. And, um, and then I kind of figured, you know, that's, that's kind of something I want to do. So I picked up like a shadow internship in high school, senior year where I went to my local TV station in Utica, New York, and, and basically every Friday night just followed and, and watched uh, the sports team at that station. It was in the fall, so I was able to go to football games and basketball games on Friday nights. Uh, so that was really cool to get a really firsthand look of what it's like, and then that sealed everything. So I went to Syracuse, uh, <clears throat> best journalism school in the country. <clears throat> there it is. Uh, yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And there it uh, is. Uh, you know, $72,000 a year later, uh, but a <laughs> <laughs> uh, great experience. I was there for when Syracuse won the national championship with Carmelo. So again, another great experience of like, well, this is what it's like covering and being a part of a championship team and um, graduated in 05, had a few internships in college and didn't get in my first job. So I graduated in May 05, January, 2006 was, I got my first job in Lincoln, Nebraska, $18,000 a year, uh, didn't fly out there to look at it, took it, you know, blindly over the phone. All right, let's do this. It was As a, a lot of people do. It was a big, big shock, culture shock, you know, being from New York and a uh, different way of living out there and different type of people getting used to, um, you know, what it's like out there and had a good two years uh, covering actually Zach Taylor, who is now the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. He was the quarterback at Nebraska when I was there. So uh, very interesting and, and pretty cool to see him ascend into a 
almost a near Super Bowl winning head coach. Shout um, out Zach Taylor. So, yeah. And then um, and then I left Nebraska after two years. Uh, went to Ocean City, Maryland, Salisbury, Maryland, WBOC, sports director there. Stayed there for eight years. Uh, met my wife, Lacey, who was a morning anchor at the time. Got married out in Ocean City. We love Ocean City. Uh, we're probably going to retire there and, and, and live there uh, once we're done in this crazy world of TV. A uh, very special place to us. Delmarva is a special place to me. Uh, met a lot of amazing people, coaches, friends. And um, we go back there probably four or five times during the summer, just mooch off everybody's condo uh, <laughs> city to, to stay for the weekend. And then came over here in D.C. in uh, 2016 and been here ever since. Uh, came in as the number three sports guy, MMJ style, and uh, kind of worked my way up. And now I'm uh, the lead Monday through Friday uh, role in sports here. For the uninitiated listener who's not in the business, what Scott did is basically the best version of recapping everything as a broadcaster when I had all these questions I had for him. Still going to get to it, but well done on him. As I understand it, you and your dad were really into going out to sports memorabilia shows. Mm -hmm. Do Why do you still love the practice of collecting cards so much in this day and age when everything's digital and eBay and stuff? I've always been a purist with everything, Chip. I mean, I look at the transfer portal with college basketball. I freaking hate it. Like, it's just like, exactly. again, again, I'm a purist. Like when, you know, baseball did the seven inning double headers or the ghost runner on second, hated it. I'm a purist in pretty much everything. And, and there's nothing more pure than, you know, picking up a newspaper. Oh, I love reading a newspaper. I love it. Um, and then for, for your question of, of baseball cards, it's just – it's, it's been, it's been going on since what the forties and fifties, you know, way before our time, uh, you know, my father collected them and, and, you know, he passed it on to me and it's just something we enjoyed the, the various, you know, the tops and the upper decks and, and, and the different kinds of baseball cards. And we just enjoyed, it was our thing. It was our hobby. It was something other than schoolwork. It was something other than going to a basketball practice or a track meet. It's something that connected us and bonded us from outside the chores of uh, mowing the lawn or, or splitting the wood. And uh, we enjoyed it and we got, we got, you know, super tight because of it. We always looked forward to, you know, we, every year we, we marked out kind of our weekend trips to various memorabilia shows, whether it's in Syracuse or Albany or Buffalo. Um, and it was something we, we enjoyed. What's the best card you have in your deck right now? Currently. Um, I have a um, I have a Barry Bonds uh, Pittsburgh Pirates uh, rookie card uh, that that's that's, that's that's pretty good. Um, that's really it's, good. It's in a nice casing, so uh, that would probably be. Um, I don't have the the Hannes Wagner, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, uh, getting back talking about the yeah 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 i know exactly what you're talking about. That's yeah. that's a hard one to get. Yeah. Going back to Syracuse, as mentioned, it's. I'd say it's up there as like number one. Northwestern's probably two, or like a tight number one, like a close. Oh my god, Tip, there. there's so many. Maryland's a great program. Yeah, oh, there's so many. Very... I'm saying in terms of just like you hear, like it. That's why I went uh -huh, Syracuse because yeah. uh -huh, the running gag is, oh, you went to Syracuse or somewhere else. But that's also breeds competition. And I remember at the University of Miami competing with everybody. We're friends, and you all want to succeed. We're also competing to like get the attention of the teachers. 
and get the attention of potential employers. How did that competition at such a you know difficult school to get into, a difficult difficult curriculum, help you prepare for that professional grind? Yeah, um, because not everybody can call the Syracuse basketball game. Not everybody can call the Syracuse football game or cover the Syracuse football or basketball game. So you had to kind of assert yourself and um, show that you're willing to put in the work or go to the field hockey game, go to the soccer game, um, do those oddball jobs so um, you could show your superiors and people that make those decisions that you're invested and you, you're, you're committed to this program or committed to this radio station or newspaper. And I, I actually went into Syracuse as a track and cross country runner, and it was just taking up so much of my time. And I knew I wasn't gonna get paid to run track or run cross country for the rest of my life. So I stopped after two years, cause I know I knew that it was gonna take away from the other opportunities that I had to get myself ready for what I really want to do, which was be a sportscaster or a sports broadcaster. So uh, I, I stepped away after two years and, and kind of immersed myself in the campus TV station and getting a lot of internships and going to all these sporting events and showing the teachers and the professors and the people that run the campus TV station uh, and the internships that I want to be involved. Give me more, 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 um, because that's that's I know. Syracuse could give you the tools in the toolbox, but it's up to you to take those tools and take it to the next level, Chip. It's certainly like that across the country for young students or young high school students who are trying to figure out how to get into it. So now we fast forward to taking that blind acceptance of the job in Nebraska. And I know you worked under the late, great Ed Littler. What did he teach you in that first job? that you still carry with you today? Because you've taught me some things. I'm sure Ed taught you some things when you yeah. were a fresh-eyed guy out of college. Oh, you're going to make me emotional. I miss him every day. Um, he just passed away, uh, shoot, February? Uh, yeah, February. So, yeah, um, he was a special man. Uh, I'm so lucky that he was my kind of first mentor in the business because – he was a lot like my father in terms of the work ethic. He was very regimented, um, very structured, very organized. And he showed me sometimes you got to put in a lot of extra hours to have a really good sports cast or get that extra story or get that extra interview. He worked a lot, Chip, and, um, and didn't get paid for it. He didn't know overtime. And he showed me it's, that's okay. You know, yeah, it's good to get compensated and get paid, but sometimes you have to go that extra mile and do that extra work without getting paid just for the betterment and the self-drive and the self-motivation of being the best you can be. And I'm very lucky that I didn't have somebody that was, you know, kind of lazy or um, was on his last legs in the business and just kind of collecting a paycheck. That wasn't that. He was go, 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 go uh, nonstop. And, um, he always, you know, he worked Monday through Friday, but, you know, always, always helped me on a Saturday pick up an extra college football game or pick up an extra big American Legion baseball game, a playoff game that I couldn't get to because it was an hour away. He was always there to help. And, and um, he showed me he showed me kind of my blueprint and my playbook. And I carried it on the rest of my career. 
so he i'm very lucky that he was the first uh real mentor hands-on training really paying it forward in his job and to the people that he worked with and that's yep. why he's the late great ed littler and we miss him certainly uh yep. for everyone in the business you especially i learned about him through you and i was like oh wow this guy's yeah pretty awesome no i mean pretty yeah awesome. I, I, I called him you know all every day um because you know he didn't really have much family and he was kind of alone and out of the TV business, so I felt it was my obligation to check on him, be a friend, because I know what he did for me and how appreciative I was that, again, he laid, he gave me that playbook. You know, everybody has a different playbook. Um, I may have tinkered it and, and adjusted used, it for today's day and age. Adjusted it to, to my style, and uh, but he gave me that foundation. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think what I hope people take away from any of the podcast episodes they listen to is that this business is so small. It's it is covering a world, a country, but like you run into so many people throughout your career that you will see and stay close to forever and ever, which is where we go next to Salisbury, Maryland. You met Lacey there. My wife, Carly, is from there. There's something in the water in eastern shore of Maryland, Virginia, Delmarva, that just leads to great life events happening. So. In that market, seven and a half years there, how did that become that safe space for you that you could grow and develop your skill set, that blueprint that you picked up from Ed Lidler to then take that next step to the big to the big city? Yeah, they um, you know, they gave me the keys to the kingdom in a sense. Uh WBOC is a powerhouse um on Delmarva and in that region. News helicopter, whatever. They had all the tools, all the resources and I was, you know, in charge of running the department. And of course I made my mistakes and but I got into a really good groove of just the hyper local, the high schools, the small colleges. And, you know, I could see the impact I was making really early on of, you know, people coming up to me, um, saying you're doing a good job or really appreciate it. And so I knew people were watching and what I was doing was working and, you know, the team, the weekend sports anchors that I had uh, throughout my eight years there. And, um, I, I loved, you know, I, I tell everybody chip, I would be there today, um, parking my butt, raising a family if they just, you know, unfortunately paid more, uh, but it's a small market and, and you're, you don't make the big bucks per se in Salisbury, Maryland. Um, I love that place. And I grew tremendously. Um, I have lifelong friends there and I, get so excited when the summer hits because I know I'm going there, you know, three or four times seeing friends, spending time on the beach for your listeners, you know, yeah, you have Norfolk, you have Virginia beach, but there's something to say about, you know, the, the Shinkatigs and the Assateagues and absolutely it's, it's, there's just, it's hard to explain if you've never been there, there's a magic there and the, the people, it is good, good people. You know, your, yeah. your, your in-laws are, are great people. And, um, that's the most of they Del still remember. They still remember Scott Abraham. They ask about him all the time. Yeah. That's and, the and impact that's that this man so, had in that community. That's like, that's the impact. like, okay. Like I love DC, but it, there's a difference. There's, there's not, there's not a, like a true hominess of DC, you know, compared to like a, a small town Salisbury or a small town Berlin, Maryland, or a small town Delmar. Um, you know, just the people that comes up to you at the grocery store, you don't really get that too much here in DC, uh, because there's a lot, it's a lot of people that are 
not from DC that, that are living right now in DC and working. So it's again, I grew a lot and it, and it, and it set me up and got me ready to taking that next step. And when I hit DC, I don't think my department, I don't think my station really knew what was coming. Cause I kind of smacked them in the mouth in a sense of they were surprised of how much I could do so fast, so quickly, kind of very similar how you jumped in right away. Like I was ready because I did it all. Like you have to do it all in these small markets, shooting, editing. And that made me a valuable resource where I was sent to a lot of places and covering a lot of cool events very early on. Because it's technically they hired me, WJLA, as like a high school reporter, just focusing on the high schools. Yeah, as the MMJ. They, that's what you told me you were hired but, for. But when they saw a chip that I could do everything, like I went on the road to like Caps playoff games by myself, MMJing, or going to all these big press conferences or, or events by myself because I could do it all. Um, and that's why WBOC got me so prepared, so ready, where I leapfrogged um, some people already just jumping right into WGLA. Quick bonus sidebar before we get to WGLA and staying motivated. Is the Chesapeake Bay Blue Crab overrated or are you buying the hype? Oh, boy. <laughs> this is, is going to be a big revelation, Chip. I don't know. I if know. It's a divisive this. question. I don't like crabs. That's okay. I'm all right with them. I'm all right. With them. I don't, I don't lo- like, I hate picking crabs. I think it's, it is a chore. I, I think it's a lot of work. I think for a, not a lot of meat. So I'm going, I'm going bougie here. I'd rather have my lump crab meat just already picked for me. <laughs> and I'm sorry, Delmarva. I'm sorry, Virginia folks. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a, Blue, blue, this could be your headline, Chip. Um, I'm, not a, no. I'm not a big Maryland blue crab picker. Uh, so not, the, I'm, the big revelation. I don't think I've ever. I'm not, I don't think I've publicly. I don't think I've publicly stated this before. So you got the uh, breaking story. The exclusive on Chip and yeah. Friends with Scott Abraham, uh, sports director, primary sports anchor for WJLA TV in Washington D.C. And that's where we go now because you won multiple Emmys with that staff. Keith Abernathy, Winston Hilton, our MVP, Kendall Griggs, who's teaching me to this day as a photojournalist, and the new girl on the block who's doing really well over there, Olivia Garvey. Where does the motivation come from to keep pushing yourself today with the amount of success you've had and the things you've been able to cover knowing that it's not over? It doesn't just end when you get to the top. Because there's there's a... There, it's I'm just I've always been so self-motivated like the competition you know I want to beat my competition brains in I want to get that story before them or if it's you know even with a, in our department you know I wanted to get the interview before you or I want to get the interview before Olivia I've always just been very competitive of I wanted to be one step ahead of everybody and um, it's just a hunger that I don't think will ever go away. That's just, that's just my DNA. And I go back from the people in my life, my father, Ed Littler, that really instilled those elements in me and they're never going to go away. And, and sometimes I can come off as abrasive or a bulldog, but I'm sorry that, that that's me. That's, that's how I am. And, and when I want something, um, I go after it and, and I don't really let anything get in my way. Um, so there's always, there's always a goal. There's always something 
I'm reaching for to try to get to the top and I'm never satisfied. I'll never, never be satisfied. And that's just, that's just how I am. And it's not, it's not going to change. Every approach is different. It has worked for you and it could work for others, but that's why we do this. So finally, to wrap things up on this episode with Scott Abraham on Chip and Friends, if you had one secret sauce to success in the industry of journalism, broadcasting, media, on camera, off camera, what is that secret sauce for our listeners? Aggressive work ethic. Nope. I have a post-it note on my, um, on my office computer. It says, nobody will ever outwork me. And I, and I think that's just, that's my, that's my ethos and everybody else, they, they have a different DNA. They have a different makeup. Um, I'm not afraid to work 14, 16 hour days and not get paid. Some people are not comfortable with that. Some people feel like they're getting taken advantage of. I, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. Like I, I enjoy the grind. I enjoy getting up at seven in the morning with my daughter and then figuring out what am I going to do for the day? Oh, breaking news. DC United just fired their head coach. Oh, the Washington commanders are coming out with a new coaching program. Like, and then, then I formulate, okay, how am I going to get these interviews? How am I going to cover these stories for the day? And that's my, my, my motor is always going. So I think just the work ethic and being aggressive, not, not letting a story come to you, not letting an interview come to you, go after it. You, you figure out how you're going to get that story done. How are you going to localize that story? How are you going to make that story pop for your viewers? That's your job as a journalist. That's your job as a local sports anchor or a sports writer. Um, you have to figure out how you're going to get that story done. And I go after it. So that bulldog work ethic um, mentality, I think that's the secret sauce for me. It may not be for everybody, but that's what makes me tick. And that is why he is one of the best out there in the business and why you should pay attention to what he's saying, because I certainly have. Scott Abraham, sports director, primary sports anchor, WJLA TV. Where can the people follow you on social if they've made it this far? Yeah, Scott ABC, uh, Scott 7 News on Twitter, and then uh, also Scott 7 News on Instagram. You know, try to get a – I've always been a Twitter guy, but I, I had to dive in a little bit more with the Instagram, get, get hit with the high school kids. I'm not, I'm not on TikTok, no TikTok. I was about yet. to say. Uh, no. But I, I assume that's probably coming as well. But right now, Twitter and Facebook, excuse me, Twitter and IG are my main two. Keep it in the safe space. And we appreciate your time as you start to turn the gears for today's events that you will turn for the 6, the 10, and the 11. And Sports Talk at 9 o'clock. You, you forgot the 5 o'clock too, buddy. Uh, well, it's been a while. It has been a while. <laughs> to hey, you, the hey, listener. Hey, thanks for having me, buddy. I love you. Absolutely. To you, the listener, thank you so much for being with us. If you have made it to the end of this podcast, cheers. Next round's on me.